0: and by Schuert & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
1: From Café Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with creative business consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business Acadiana style.
2: Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The legendary Scottish poet, Robbie Burns, wrote in Old Scotch Brogue, the best laid schemes o' mice and men gang af This Scottish brogue could be uh, considered a British equivalent of Cajun French. In English, it translates to the best laid pants of mice and men often go awry. Burns frequently wrote about innocent country creatures, especially the way that their lives can be impacted by the forces of our world without them even being aware of our existence. By extension, Burns was talking about us. How we, like innocent creatures of the countryside, go about our lives with the best of intentions, but somehow, and we don't necessarily know why, things just don't turn out as we planned. When that happens in business, we've invented an upbeat word for it. Pivot. For example, if you're selling widgets to companies that dig oil wells and the oil business collapses, you might want to pivot and figure a way to sell those widgets to companies that dig swimming pools. That kind of pivot is pretty straightforward. My guests on today's show are dealing with pivoting businesses in ways which there are no simple answers, no well-worn paths to tread, and very little wisdom to follow. Tyler Warner started his company in 2007. He called it Pixelbrush. It was a website company that designed, built, and maintained websites. By 2016, Tyler had learned that it actually started and was trying to run three companies. It turns out that website design, website building, and website maintenance are three very different businesses. And when you get successful, they require three very different types of people to run them. So Tyler pivoted. Now Pixelbrush is three different companies. Daysite, 8Hats, and a new alignment with an existing company, Bazooka. Tyler, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks, glad to be here. Christian Mader is a talented Lafayette-based writer and journalist. You've probably read Christian's work in Ind Magazine and in Biz. 2017 has already been a big year for Christian. He won the Louisiana Press Association's Freedom of Information Award, the highest prize that the association confers and he was named managing editor of a new magazine called The Current. Then, Later in 2017, the company that owned Ind Magazine, ABiz, and the current were now business, leaving Christian more or less pivoting in the wind. Being a print journalist in the 21st century is not for the faint of heart. Christian, welcome to Out to Lunch.
3: Hey, glad to be here.
2: Taylor, the breakup of Pixel Brush into different companies has led to a very new interest in business called DaySight. The concept is a cross between building your own website and having it professionally built. Today, when you build your own website, it's quick and cheap, but it can end up looking like your dog designed it, and it doesn't always work properly. Or you can go to a professional to do it, which ends up looking good and everything works, but it takes forever and costs way too much. DaySite sits a client down with your team and builds them the website they really want that really works in a single day. As your publicity says, the website goes live at five. Because it only takes a day, there's a limit to what it costs the client. On the face of it, this looks like a win-win and a fantastic business. Why do you then need the other companies?
1: Um, It's a great question. (laughs) The reason, I guess, um, there's other spinoffs is probably just more of a reflection of my personality, I think, more than than anything. I uh, got into the business more as an entrepreneur that was just looking for a a service. When I started, it was literally just in my college rent house, bought a laptop, a few how-to-build-website-for-dummies books, and I just kind of knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so um, that as different businesses evolved that entrepreneur strain in me never really settled and so um, what I learned as I grew through that is that um, changing all the time wouldn't necessarily be fair to my employees or just anybody who customers even people that were involved in the business so I kind of learned that uh, some ideas just need to be their own thing and grow on their own and that was kind of how uh, Dayside evolved, and, and Pixel Brush was kind of the, I guess, the platform for me to do that. Um, and you know, you mentioned the word pivot. There's a lot of constant pivoting, and and that was one thing that kind of rose out of that. Um, so it wasn't that I guess I needed those other businesses; that they just kind of happened.
2: Christian, this is a tough time to be a print journalist. Fewer people are reading print newspapers and magazines, and more of us are getting our news and entertainment online. But we're reluctant to pay for that online access. And advertisers that used to put their ad in the paper and pray for the best result, now want all kinds of statistical evidence about what who's actually seeing their ad. And where they had a limited number of local newspapers to advertise in, they can target local people online from anywhere, from Facebook to the podcast of this show. In this climate, it was surprising to see you be involved in starting up a brand new magazine, more surprising than it was to see it shut down. What's the thinking that convinced you and your publishers that the current was going to be commercially viable, and what were the facts that sunk it so quickly?
3: Um, Some of those facts were specific to the market itself, which were that previously, arts and culture coverage um, was kind of a fractured thing. I mean, there are lots of other publications that are doing the same thing, so fundamentally we felt like we could do it better, right? So that's step one. Um, We had good feedback from who, from the folks who'd advertised and our other products in the past that we felt would um, respond well to the the, the magazine. Um, And frankly, even though we still live in a very digital world and things are going, you know, that disruption is very well documented. Um, Lafayette still very much holds on to print um, and a lot of advertisers, a lot of folks that want to sell their wares look to print as the best means of doing that. So going into it, we felt there was an audience need for it. Folks wanted um, the kind of journalism that we brought to the table um, and advertisers still wanted to be in a glossy magazine. So we thought, why not? Um, I think that the main factors that complicated it and made it hard to run um, even for the short period of time that it ran was that um, the economic market as it is local to Lafayette is in in serious trouble which meant that advertisers were fleeing to these different ways of advertising themselves um, to different magazines and stuff and there were fewer of them so the pie that you could eat out of was getting smaller and the pieces themselves were getting smaller to deal with.
2: Christian, the thing that's fascinated me about watching the, the, the life and, I guess, death at the moment of The Current is that it was aimed at a target market that's notoriously hard to advertise to. The, the young, cool, hit, people that want to read, they want to read good stories. There's a whole kind of rebelliousness against the Twitter, 140 characters. There's sites called Medium that have longer form writing. And so it seems like they're yearning for that. Do you think it was just ahead of the curve on that?
3: I don't know that we were necessarily ahead of the curve. I, I mean, I would say that, generally speaking, the, 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 the problem wasn't with the product.
2: Definitely not. Uh,
3: the problem wasn't nec- even necessarily that it didn't work and Honestly, from my perspective, we didn't really get a lot of time to see where it was going to go. I mean, the current, it's important to say, fell down under the weight of the independent. Um, the independent as an organization went down and it took the current with it. Um, and that's a whole other conversation <laughs> to have, I guess, is the point. So it's hard for me to look at that and say, well, we were ahead of the curve or the project failed, right? It, it was more that the overriding um, issues with media weighed it down and took it down with it. Um, and, you know, this part's on me. We, we certainly didn't do a good enough job of, um, Pushing in the digital realm. Um, that wasn't because it wasn't part of the plan. We just needed to get something out there first, and that's why we, we went part of the reason why we went print first. It was a, it was a medium that we as an organization understood better. Um, so, in a sense, it wasn't that we were cutting edge or we were too ahead of the curve. We understood something that other people didn't, they hadn't caught up yet. And in a very weird sense to I me, mean, it was because we were behind the curve. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Press. I always think <laughs> of the curve as
2: a circle. It's always that reaction. The, the reaction to Twitter is more long-form journalists. The reaction to everything being online is people want to read books. The reaction to print taking over from letterpress is that letterpress is cool again. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with writer and journalist Christian Mader and internet entrepreneur Tyler Warner. Tyler, you've got three businesses right now. Can you tell us, we've talked about a bit about Daysite. Tell, tell us about the other two businesses and what they do.
1: Yeah, so 8 Hats is another spin-off of Pixel Brush, and that was, we realized that, as Pixel Brush, we were, we were servicing a lot of clients all the time, and we had kind of, for a while, I guess, uh, maybe I was the only one, but I had kind of just pretended that like one day, all these support requests were going to go away, and that we'd just be finished with the,
2: them. The websites would be fixed, yeah, and yeah, nothing would go yeah. wrong, and, and no one but would But every this day, again. that
1: was not the case, until finally, I think it was from pressure of my own staff, and just, sanity you know like hey we should probably need a plan for this and and a system and that the process of developing that plan and and that system and that process became its own kind of department within our company and then we realized hey other companies just like us haven't solved this problem and so we again kind of spend it off into its own thing and now work with agencies to offer offer support um, because agencies and consultants do a great job of telling their clients what to do and even delivering how they should do it. So imagine an advertising company that's got these really elaborate campaigns that are creative and compelling, but they need to stick on that and not have to be worried about the performance of the website. And so it was a really good um, kind of, I guess, line in the sand of like, where they needed support and and so they could focus on their core thing. And so the 8 Hats kind of rose out of serving that need. Um, And then what happened was as 8 Hats grew, one of our vendors was, or we were a vendor for Bazooka. I met John and he was kind of showed me, we got to know each other. He showed me some things that he was working on uh, just for a, a handful of his clients that was like this, um this digital marketing system that was a little bit unique in terms of what other people were doing Um, and he was like look I really wanna roll this out to more clients and see if this has got some legs and it kind of struck the entrepreneurial nerve in me and I said let's do it so that's how I kinda got on board with bazooka and it was sort of at a time too where you know those other businesses that had kind of spun off had leadership that could rise up and manage them and operate them and that was, uh, you know, it just kind of worked out that way. And and I'll pretend that it was as smooth as I've just described (laughs) it. Uh. (laughs) I I made no
2: difference. (laughs) Talking about smooth, Christian, when you, I presume when you started, wanted to be a journalist, you wanted to be a writer. What does a journalist do in Lafayette? Because I know it's not just about the writing, but what opportunities are in Lafayette? What do you do as a journalist?
3: What does a writer do now in Lafayette is a very good question. Um, I mean, there are lots of things that are begging to be covered, and you know, part of the problem is, is we're running out of outlets in which to do that. Um, I mean, you could potentially, right? I mean, take advantage of what is a beautiful, idiosyncratic culture and write about that and be an expert on it, but lots of people are doing that. so. Um, if you have an answer as to what a writer ought to be doing, please let me know. Look, um, it's it's really easy to get down on the situation in media because it's not a good thing. I mean, whether your feelings, whatever a person's feelings were about the independent current A-biz, sort of like the role that it played in the political schemes of the city of Lafayette, um, the reality is it expressed a particular point of view that now is in danger of not existing in town. Um, I feel an immense sense of obligation to try and... Maintain whatever level of independent journalism existed with that operation. Um, and you know, right now we're actually exploring ways to disrupt ourselves, right? So I am personally um, in the process of, of trying to, or not trying to, I'm personally in the process of acquiring the current um, as an owner. Um, and what I'll be doing, hopefully, is um, relaunching it essentially as a community supported organism. Um, I'm not really. Uh, I, we haven't quite gotten to the point where we can roll out exactly what that's going to look like. Um, but we've realized, as you know, at some of the points that I was trying to make earlier, that it's really squirrely, really difficult to understand what it is that people want to know about their community. And we're hoping to find a better way of using technology um, to get to the bottom of what it is people actually care about and what they want to see the media do. Because the reality is the problem um, that we're faced with without um, a robust um, media arm in, in in Lafayette, or media ecosystem, let's go with that. What w- we're faced with that a robust media ecosystem is a situation in which people are uninformed, and that's a problem. Um, and we feel like we can find a more efficient way to deploy the resources to keep people informed, and that's what we're working on right now.
2: Both of you, are, I hate to say this on the radio, but both of you are pretty intelligent, decent guys. You could run businesses anywhere, you could have opportunities anywhere, Christian. Why? Why are you still in Lafayette?
3: For me, it's a commitment to the place that made me who I am. Um, There, look, I mean, a piece of advice I've gotten a lot in my lifetime is to leave Lafayette, primarily because of the careers that I chose to follow. Um, If I wanted to make more money as a journalist, it would make a lot more sense for me to try and climb the ladder. Um, And I've had some opportunities to do that. Uh, Same could be said for playing an independent rock and roll bands I mean look we have a beautiful music scene here but it's not exactly the easiest place to write and record independent music Um, that's not of a traditional nature Um, and that's not knocking that but you know it's certainly something that folks have told me look if you want to get where I think you want to go you need to get out of here
2: we should probably make sure that people know that Christian also plays in a very very popular local band called brass bed
3: you could probably take two of those varies out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. I gotta say, I really like <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah,
3: I appreciate I'm that. I'm a fan. No, we're, we're happy. We're both we're fans. With yeah. Yeah. Good. That's well. two. Well, now you guys got me blushing, which I could hear through this microphone. Uh, the the point that I'm trying to make, in any case, is that, you know, certainly, I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure how this applies to what, what Tyler does necessarily, um, but for, for me, that was, these advice people gave me often was get out of here. You know, if you really want to make it, whatever that means, you need to leave. and. It's not been because we felt like we were going to make it here that we stayed here, or I stayed here. It was because this is where I want to be. This is the place that matters to me, and I don't see any reason. Um, I don't feel like if I were doing any of the things that I was doing in any for anybody else's community, that I would get the same level of satisfaction out of it. You know, that's that's really what it is for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably a sim- similar sentiment. It's it's family, you know, and I think. Uh, you know you always you always have to make some compromise for whatever you're pursuing you know um, so everything comes at a cost and that's never been a cost that's made sense you know so um, and for what I do I don't know that I've ever felt quite as geographically bound as maybe you know going to LA or New York or something like that if I was pursuing you know a music career or um, even some of the bigger markets in journalism so I mean I guess that has never been a, a, a call. I mean, I, I guess I've wondered, yeah, what would happen if I moved out to Silicon Valley, you know, and maybe I'd, you know, networked with investors or something like that. I don't know that, um, that it was ever, um, that I ever desired that more than just the, I guess, the comfort of it, always knowing my family's around the corner and I've got friends here, and those things always kind of just stayed on the forefront. I never, I never felt like I was missing out.
2: So, where both of you talk about your values, and they're obviously very important, and there's this constant discussion in the business world about you know values and business. Which is more important? Are they both equally as important? Is money more important than your values? Is value uh, values more important than your money? Where's the balance, or do you consider both every day?
1: I think you have to consider both every day, and I, one of the one of the phrases that sort of just unlocked something for me was there's problems you solve and there's tensions you manage and I think people try to solve one of those problems either you're either all in on like you care about money and then everything else is no big deal or you're um, sold out on you know whatever your value is and and you don't operate within the reality of, of the world and so I that managing that tension and not going one way or the other too far, you know. Checking yourself often. Am I, am I, am I compromising something for more money, or am I, you know, being irresponsible by not considering the uh, the monetary outcome of this? You know, I think as an entrepreneur, it gets really real when you realize your decisions affect people's jobs. You know, and um, so to pretend that like you know it's it's all about the values it's like man you've got to be thinking about the money obviously you know but if you think all about the money then the then whatever you're building's going to fall apart anyway you know cuz it's going to just it'll catch up and it'll be real you'll realize well this was not crafted for anybody it was crafted for you know to for cash and that'll that'll be short lived i think it's, it's really hard to, to parse the two away from each
3: other in, in media. Um, and I think we're, we're hitting a point right now where people are getting frustrated with um, business dominating values in, in, in media. Um, and the, sort of one of the ironies about that, right, is you know something that folks would often say about things that we would publish at The Independent or e- articles by, for fellow organizations is why do you guys always report on the negative stuff? Where are all these stories about crime coming from? Let's hear something positive. Let's hear some solutions. But the reality is if you look at journalism from a money-making standpoint, if it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, that's been the story since, uh, I don't know, probably at least William Randolph Hearst, right? <laughs> so one of the issues is is if you're going to try and move um, something forward that has more substance, you, you honestly can't look at it as a business first or a money first enterprise. And and I think the traditional or the conventional model for how we sustain journalism as uh, a public service is moving away from the traditional ad model or even the subscription model. Because I think we realize that if we just drive this based on what people will look at, you're actually not going to get the journalism that people say that they want. so a lot of it, you've actually seen this in some, um, uh, s- some other markets in the country where people are moving toward um, community supported, member supported uh, styles of journalism where they're trying to be more directly responsible to their readership um, and maybe it's a smaller readership. Obviously you still need money to keep the lights on but the, the business strategy isn't necessarily to maximize the income. It's to create enough of a sustainable income that you can continue to do what you think matters. Right, that's not trying to be naive or critical of a profit-centered business, it's just whether or not journalism can function as a profit-centered business is a different question.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, starting with what's important. You know, what is it, if you're designing a business that's got to, you know, have super wide margins and support, um, you know, millions of dollars in profit, that's a different thing than, than trying to build a business that, that supports your lifestyle. You know, as a freelancer or, or anything else, and so the it, that whole idea is super important because I think what happens is people dive into an industry that's got these traditional um, traditional vehicles for, for monetization that they only work in one format, and so everything's being disrupted. and And profit is one vehicle to get things done. There's a lot of different vehicles. And so I kind of rose up in this idea that software was all of a sudden free. That was never even heard of. You know, one of the first business books I read was called Free. And it was all about just reinventing the whole business model and having different people support your business versus then the direct, you know, paying for it. So I think people are definitely looking at things just so differently now. Well, I mean, I think you run into a situation where the idea, the
3: underpinning of capitalism, right, is that profit orientation delivers the best product. And I think, by and large, that's proven to be true, but there are certain industries in which that's not proven to be true, right? You can make things cheaper, you can make them more uh, bountiful, (laughs) you can do all those kind of things, but what I found in journalism is if you actually follow the basic tenets of profit orientation, you, you tend to get worse journalism, it seems to be the case.
2: It's not hard to find wisdom from people who have experienced incredible success after suffering abject failures. Silicon Valley is full of those types of tales. After all, even the world's most influential entrepreneur, Steve Jobs, was at one point fired from his own company at Apple. In defense of failure, Jobs' extraordinarily successful contemporary Richard Branson said, You don't learn to walk by following rules, you learn by falling over. Yes, it's great to look back from the vantage point of success, but it takes great courage to make sense of what the heck is going on before you get to the mountaintop. When you're in the middle of fighting your way through the day-to-day difficulties of navigating change. Christian, Taylor, thank you both for sharing your journeys with us. I look forward to catching up with you in the not-too-distant future and hearing your success stories. Thank you for joining me today on Out to Lunch.
3: Thank you very much. Thanks.
2: My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Tyler Warner, founder and partner of DaySight, Eight Hats, and business development executive at Bazooka, and writer, editor, and award-winning journalist, Christian Rader. You can find out more about Tyler's digital adventures and Christian's journalistic journey by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and idcacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Murrell. Our researcher is Matthew Ellefson. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos of this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken by Gwen Oaken. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, it'sacadiana.com and krvs.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for it'sacadiana.com and krvs88.7fm. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Cafe Vermilionville for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch.
0: Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe Vermilionville is open Monday to Friday for lunch and six nights a week for dinner, with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michel. Out to Lunch Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escudet. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Collie Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants.